Lately, it seems like the first thing someone says when you meet him and you say, how are you? They say, I'm so busy. It's as if it's some sort of badge of honor. All this rushing around is part of our everyday routines, and it's even how we Americans all too often spend our very brief vacations. But what price do we pay for all this busyness? That's what Ferenc Maté has been asking. Now, don't get me wrong, he's been pretty busy, too. After fleeing communist Hungary as a youth following the failed revolution back in 1956, he went on to build and restore his own boats and homes, and that includes a 13th-century friary, which he turned into his dream house in Tuscany. That's where he grows grapes now for his own Brunello wines. He's also written more than a dozen books. His latest is a wake-up call to rediscover the roots of our happiness and take control of our days. It's called A Real Life, and it'll be out shortly in paperback. Ferenc, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for inviting me. A real life. A, a real life as opposed to what? I think that we have become almost a virtual society. And everything that we experience is sort of watered down and secondhand. And I think we've lost two things, the calm and the excitement of life, the intensity of life. And I don't think that you can restore it, no matter how many video games or gadgets you have. You cannot recapture the, the passion that you get out of a relationship between people, a relationship of man to earth, of man to family or to friendships. And these things, I'm not saying we've lost them completely, but we are certainly on our way. And I think it's getting worse and worse every day. I think we're replacing basic joys in life with a really mediocre substitute. Well, a lot of people would go to a screen or some sort of digital fantasy in order to have <laughs> in intensity. I mean, you're saying we've lost intensity because we've been sucked into that kind of uh, digital intensity? Rick, I think if you look at the average person or every child doing a video game or watching television, and you can see the, the brain almost 99% shut down. I don't yeah. think there's any emotion involved there. Maybe a little anxiety, like an inner panic, that discomfort that you get from playing these games, but there's not this passion and satisfaction that you get out of something, something real that you actually do with your own hands or experience with your own heart and soul, you know, that comes yeah. with another human being. I think a lot of people recognize this problem and this challenge. In fact, the topic's almost a cliché. How has your life experience given you something different to share in your book, A Real Life? Two things moved me to Italy, first of all. I was traveling all over the world and looking for a place to settle down. Lived in New York for years, lived in Paris, lived in Rome. And uh, one day we're coming out of uh, the Amalfi Coast. You know what the road is like. Two buses meet, everybody stops, right? Talk so about I, intensity, that road. <laughs> I sort of pulled over to the side trying to let the traffic by, but I couldn't because I was too much in the middle. Cabby behind me jumps out of the car, slams the door, and I thought he's going to come and kill me with a wrench. And he instead... Took a deep breath and went, oh, sole mio. And I thought, these guys know how to live. I thought, this is perfect. You know, I've seen that in traffic jams in Italy. People, they, they just pull over, they pull out their little card table and crack <laughs> open a bottle of Chianti. <laughs> and they say, well, I guess we'll have our picnic here. Perfect. So one of the first phrases I learned when I moved to Tuscany was, piano, piano con calma, which means slowly, slowly, calmly. You know, and piano, it's true. Piano, and piano. it's always time to sit around, talk to each other, have a glass of wine, so you're Parking. talking about uh, an Italian sort of il, il dolce far niente, isn't that a, the sweetness that's a good, of that's doing nothing? Close, you yeah. know? Uh, this sort of sensibility, interweaving that here in our, our lives in a more high-strung, high-powered kind of existence, there's a lot of trade-offs there. How, how can you balance the benefits of modern life and all of the, you know, we can fly to Tuscany for two weeks just for a vacation. You couldn't do that without having True. a little bit of that intensity. True, but, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I've just spent some time in, on a little island or a community of little island near Vancouver. And the interchange between people who live on the docks and live in little houses around the docks, and it's not a rich community, 
Nothing can replace that little simple conversations yeah. that you meet with a fisherman or some guy hanging out a crab off a dock. That 10 or 15 minutes of exchange is so unforgettable that you, it cannot replace no matter how much money you spend on any kind of gadgets. And I think we're overwhelmed by this idea that the more gadgets we have, the more material things we have, the happier we have. I love this line in your book where you say, living with our gadgets lonely in vast crowds. I mean, <laughs> that really nails it. And, and it relates to a sort of a growing depression industry in our society as well, doesn't it? We have like two biggest things you go to drugstore is the antidepressants and the indigestive pills. I mean, those things shouldn't exist in our lives. Why? If we eat normally, move normally, laugh enough, good heavens, those things just aren't necessary, you know. It sounds almost too simplistic to say those things are not necessary. But you also talked about in your book that the solution involves no hardships. Simply lead better and happier lives. And another quote in your book, your book is just filled with quotes, if only we'd stop trying to be happy, we'd have a pretty good time. <laughs> Isn't that great? I love that. <laughs> but I mean, the point is, you can be simple and quiet and tuned into the moment if you simply choose to. It's true. We're not talking about some solemn monastic existence. I'm talking about that we're missing two aspects. We're missing calm and excitement, okay? True excitement, true passion, true rich experience. You know I mean? I was telling you, I was working on this island for the last, just no water, no electricity, nothing for the last couple of weeks, 12 hours a day, working like a dog, hauling rocks up and down, clearing paths, trying to get the house in order. Totally exhausted, but it's a great exhaustion because you're actually doing something with your hands, you know. I drove down from Vancouver to Seattle. It took me an hour and a half, and I was dead tired. I didn't do anything. I just sat there, but there was no emotional, there was no physical reward. And I think those two things, the physical and the emotional reward, are missing from our lives. We don't do anything simple like cook from scratch, See, that grow kind of food. Work, that kind of work can energize you rather, than, rather than drain oh, you. It, exactly. I'm, I'm telling you, I feel 10 years younger and two weeks after that kind of work than I did before. You know, And it was just physically exhausting. I probably lost a few pounds, but, but I feel reborn, basically. I'm Rick Steves. We're talking with Ferenc Maté, his new book, A Real Life. Ferenc, when you think about your life in Tuscany, I know from looking through those books, it's about growing your own food, making your own wine, fixing your own house. Talk about how all of that experience relates to what you are suggesting or challenging us in a real life. You say disconnect in order to reconnect. We are so reliant on outside sources constantly to look after us, to help us, that we forget the, the enormous pleasures and the, the satisfaction, the fulfillment that you come from doing something yourself, okay? So I that is a huge irony, to be so fanatic about being connected that we actually become disconnected. Yeah, become frightened if, if we don't, don't connect with some outside source that, that might help us. When if we were self-reliant to some degree, I mean, people used to build their own houses, you know. It's not that difficult cutting two-by-fours. People used to do their own gardens. They used to grow their own, most of their own food for pleasure. You know, right. now you go through most of the countryside here and fruit trees aren't pruned. They're abandoned. Vegetable gardens are few and far between, uh, more and more so. You kind of comment from your perspective in Tuscany, looking at American society, that you see isolation, depression, and overweight people. It really is a huge, and it's a very noticeable comparison. I'm not saying Italy doesn't have it, because Italy's going right. the same way. It's just that we're behind a few decades. But, you right. know, we're certainly getting to the same point as any other Western mm -hmm. country is. But still, the Italians, the family is a huge thing. The community is enormous. And community, in a fun sort of way, it's not like you're responsible for community watch, that kind of thing. No. You have people bring out the tables, and this neighborhood has a neighborhood party. And, and kids get together or get thrown out the street so they can play together and know each other. 
neighborliness, which is a word I think is completely lost in our vocabulary. I mean, look at our houses, generally speaking. Mm. We used to have little porches where you sit around and met the neighbors. Now what do you have? Three-car garage. I mean, you basically drive from your car, step into your garage, never see your neighbor for decades. If you live beside somebody, don't even know them. Whereas in Tuscany, we have people from next door to us coming, and we need penicillin injections or something, they'll do it because, you know, that's what neighbor is for. They, you need help with your truck or your car or your, or your well, garden or something. that's sort of the old-fashioned concept of neighborliness, whereas now we've worked ourselves out of that where we, we aren't reliant on the people next door, no, which no, is we really a for, loss. No, we, we pay, we pay for, for some distant professional to do all these services that doesn't involve a human exchange. Tuscany also has, as you know well, the tiny stores where people know you. The butcher knows you. The, the baker knows you. And those few minutes of, of interaction give you a sense of place, a sense of belonging, and I, and I think we're losing that. So you've talked about relying on neighbors, working with your hands. From this earthy sort of perspective, you can reevaluate the whole meaning of success. Well, I can only go from experience of the Tuscan people and from my own, okay? I can tell you that no matter what I do, how many books I've written, one of the proudest things I do, and it's a yearly event, I grow garlic. <laughs> and nothing, I tell you, nothing is more thrilling than sticking 100 cloves in the ground and seeing every one of them come up, you know? And you feel, my God, I've really done something. And such, such great garlic is all organic, so it's not really strong, but it's totally full of flavors. But then sharing it the with pleasure. somebody. Oh, See, and that, you, that must be the, the that's capper. That's the biggest thing, you know. You, that must be the your, capper. Your friends come for dinner and he doesn't mind garlic. Dude, it's pretty <laughs> great garlic. <laughs> I've seen that on bruschetta. Oh. I mean, you know, that the way they just rub that garlic on the and, toast. And fresh olive oil. And the and olive no oil comparison. that they know who made that olive oil. And it's the best part of the meal. You can do all the surveys you want, but nothing tastes as good as a tomato just so fresh and still warm with the sun in it than you just pick from and your it, own garden. And, yeah. and it ties, Rick. I mean, I've known it from our neighbors where the grandfather works with the five-year-old granddaughter. She's out there helping in the garden, actually hoeing and doing stuff, and she is thrilled to do it. She, it's not a chore for them, you know. Right. She belongs in a family. She has a, such a sense of place, such a sense yeah. of identity. We're not allowing our kids to have that, okay? We've, we've we, lost it. Completely. We've given these anonymous toys, the generic toys that everybody else has. How does that make you feel? How does it bring out your individuality? How does it bring out your creativity or your, your passion for seeing the world from your own point of view? You're, you're, we're binding our children's hands, basically, with this stuff. I'm Rick Steves. We're speaking with Ferenc Matei. We're talking about a real life. The subtitle of the book, Rediscovering the Roots of Our Happiness. Talk about the beauty of working with our hands. Oh. It's ironic because the satisfaction of that is so enormous. And I think that uh, it's the biggest gift you can give to your child or to yourself just to learn not the physical skills necessarily, but the emotional security that gives you to be able to do things and trust yourself to do things yourself. Mm-hmm. When I was 18, I lived in Vancouver. I was sort of university and I had no place to live. And I couldn't afford an apartment, so I, I thought, you know, how can I rectify going to school and not having a place to live? So I found this raft down in the waterfront, about 24 feet by 12 feet, and I built myself a little house on it out of plywood and two-by-fours. And I made sure I designed it so I went to cut the plywood. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was hard with a handsaw in those days, you know. Yeah. And for about 800 bucks, I built this wonderful little place with a kitchen and a bathroom, and I used a cement hopper upside down that somebody threw away for a fireplace and everything in the world that you could ask for. From that point on, Rick, I felt so confident in myself the rest of my life. I was never rich. Maybe I'm doing okay now, but the feeling that you can provide your own shelter gives you a security in other situations. I can walk into New York and feel totally confident in any any boardroom anywhere because I know that I don't care what you guys think. I can build my own house, man. I can look after myself. See, that confidence is almost subversive in our society, and I think we're taught (laughs) not to have that confidence. Isn't it true? So we're reliant on all of these other people that can 
hijack the service the industry. Exactly. You know, I went to Tuscany with this sort of two by four and plywood knowledge, mm-hmm. and we found this old 13th century abandoned monastery. I mean, abandoned. The roof was caving in. The stones were falling apart. The trees are overgrown with brambles. And I had absolutely no qualms of beginning to restore it. Yeah. And I had no knowledge of stonework or oak beams or, or old masonry or terracotta roofing. But you just sort of think, hey, I can figure it out somehow along the way. You know? And it was two years of, of absolute hell and paradise alternately every five minutes. You know? But it was the best time of my life. You wouldn't, wouldn't trade it? No. For nothing. And, you know, even now... I went back, looked at photographs of the original ruin, and for the first year, I almost got sick looking at it. I thought I'd ever dare to start a project like that. But yet, the passion, the joy of, of that stays with you forever. There's no, you're right. There's no other gift like that. Do you look at people sometimes and say, why don't you just step out and make it happen? I mean, because you've done that. I mean, you haven't done it because your parents were rich. You've done it because you just had the confidence to build a raft and make a little house on it or to go to Italy and well, do We this. escaped from Hungary after the revolution and the three of us, my mother and her boyfriend and I had six dollars among us and, right. and the clothes on our backs. You know, you know, we, were, we were anti-rich. You know? <laughs> and, and the sense of that, that you were happy when you were poor and no matter what happens, whatever you lose, you might regain that happiness. You know, I traveled in Mexico for six months, Mexico, Guatemala, Costa Rica with my wife 40 years ago mm-hmm. and we had this Old Volkswagen camper, best time of our lives. Yeah, best time of our oh, lives. Oh, my you know? very best trip was when I was a sort of a scavenger on the streets of Europe. Also, You're you know, really? I mean, I just those are the rich experiences. <laughs> well, look at great toy. We have GPS. You are robbing yourself of the world's best encounters. Getting lost, meeting people that you never planned to meet, seeing things in places nobody ever saw because you're on the wrong road. It's the life's greatest joy. You know, we're down in Puglia, and there were two choices on the map, both green roads on the map, one along the coast, one internally. And we asked in a little town, somebody, I said, well, could you tell us which is the more beautiful road? He started looking at the map. Yeah. Within two minutes, there were six people arguing. No, ma che scanidici, ma non è vero. I wouldn't send my mother-in-law on that ugly road. <laughs> this was probably 15 years ago, and I have never laughed so hard in my life. <laughs> Would never happen with a GPS. You know? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you there for sure. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Ferenc Matei, his book, A Real Life. Ferenc, once I started getting into this book, it finished sentences that I had been trying to write for hmm. me as far as lifestyle goes and so on. I mean, you oh, wrote, nice um, you wrote, for instance, joining a group that meets just once a month produces the same happiness increase as doubling your income. Uh, Isn't it astounding? That is, I didn't make that up. That was, that was from a, a study. You know? I, I thought of a few groups that I'm with and, and what joy they bring me as opposed to all the scrambles I do to make my business work and so on. And, and that really is, if you're looking for a return, a place for return. But that thought made me think about living in Tuscany where life is more like a group. In little ways every day. You know, the sense of belonging is so strong in Tuscany. You and can, we can learn from that. I mean, well, that look at whole, the average Tuscan. Look how happy they are. Look how happy they are to engage you in conversation. There's a piazza, and that's where people is, go to hang out before Guam, dinner, after public dinner. Public land is everything. I mean, there's so much public gathering space. Emerson said that. You know, the most essential thing for a democracy is a, a public gathering place where people can exchange ideas, air views, meet their neighbors, create a society. Where do we have that? The mall? Is that, I mean, how can you compare that to anything where, where all you do is encourage to buy among massive strangers, you know? And it's easy to return to. Look at Edmonds where you are. There's tiny stores where you can easily support them and easily get to know the people who put their hearts and soul into the, their little stores. And it's their life. It's not just a franchise with them. It's that, you know, they create, they invent everything about the store. That whole piazza idea, it even gets beyond the physical piazza. In Europe or in other societies, they would take time off when they have children. 
They will have many generations together around the table. Um, seniors stay at home. They don't put them off in a, in a senior home. And it's important for the children and the grandparents. I mean, the grandparents feel fulfilled. They're not, they're not sitting around trying to figure out how to pass their last years. They are such essential, needed part of the family. They're, they're probably the most essential. They're the most stable, the most wise, the calmest of the whole group. And, that's and the amount of love they can pour onto their grandchildren is just almost limitless. Fidence, here in suburban America, with our nine-to-five jobs and a mortgage to pay off and kids to get through school and so on, you know, you and I have been talking about these highfalutin ideas. Yeah, go, go build a boat and live on it. Well, some people can't. What are some actual practical things people can do to live what you would call the title of your book, A Real Life? Rick, I would start with the simplest thing of all, cook a real meal. Get some raw materials, even if you don't grow it yourself, and cook a real meal. And there's a great Tuscan cookbook that I read once with no quantities Figure out what you want, how much you want to put in. You can think about it. It's not, you don't need to measure everything exactly. Try it. The world's not going to end. Do something for yourself. Plant a vegetable garden. It's 10 times more rewarding, as I told you, than anything else you can think of. Fix your own house. Do something simple. You build your kid a toy. You know, I built my kid a birdhouse and a couple of odds and ends, and I still remember that, and he still treasures it. My grandfather built me a little castle when I was a kid and with wooden soldiers, and it was the most precious thing that I ever had. And he was thrilled to make it. I was thrilled to get it. Those little things are easy to do. It doesn't take any, it doesn't take any gear. It doesn't take knowledge. Just follow your heart and your soul. And your hands are much smarter than you think you are. <laughs> so it's probably maintain, maintain your freedom and your independence when it comes to defining happiness and success. Because yeah. if you don't, somebody just, else will define it for you. It's so you, simple. And then follow you your it. heart. And, you know, I would just live life as if your life depended on it. You know, to do it like we really mean it. You know, every day should be passionate. If you're not happy doing something, don't do it. Do something else much more simple and much more meaningful. And it really works, I promise you. Well, Fidenz Mate, reading your books and especially your newest book, A Real Life, you speak from real experience. Thank you so much and, and best wishes. Thanks for having me. It's really fun. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, freshly updated this year, teaches the skills of smart travel. Rick Steves' Italy is America's top-selling Italian guidebook. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find guides for Rome, Venice, Florence, and Tuscany. To learn more about Rick's guidebooks for Italy and beyond, visit the travel store at ricksteves.com.